Signs of the Southland, August 15th, 2021. This is the second time we're recording this because audio problems do be problems. Mr. Grant, we don't have time to do an intro bit today. So what do you say we cut to the chase? For sure. We uh, have even less time than the first time we tried to do that. So we should probably get the show on the road. It is time to talk about Georgia Tech volleyball. Every podcast is someone's first. Every podcast is someone's first. Mr. Grant, tell me about Georgia Tech volleyball, please. Yeah, uh, every week you managed to blow me away with how few words you can use to describe a sport. Uh, I believe this week it is white ball, net, and court boundaries. Uh, that's probably a little bit oversimplified for volleyball. It's a very intricate sport. The premise is either put the ball down on your opponent's side of the court or don't let it get put down on yours. Uh, give them uh, a pass, a spike, a attack that they are unable to handle or they handle out of bounds uh, on your or their side of the court. Um, that's a pretty simplistic overview. I think anything else and we're then diving deep into some weeds. So that's what I got. Yeah, I mean, it's a fun sport to watch. I think this is one of the most fun sporting events that we were involved in, or I guess not involved in, but at least went to uh, while both of us were at Tech. Um, it was, I mean, they, they played O'Keefe. O'Keefe is a really intimate venue. It's only about 1,000 people, I think 1,000, 1,200 people uh, inside. Yeah, it's 1,200. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, you, it, it's a middle school gym, both figuratively and literally, because it was the building that's constructed or that's joined to is a literal junior high school that was constructed in 1923. Uh, the only reason it's still standing, uh, it was part of the neighborhood that was basically bulldozed by the construction of the connector. The story of those neighborhoods is neither here nor there, but it happened. Um, we, that's a, subject for a different podcast. Uh, the last class uh, to graduate from O'Keefe Junior High School graduated in 1973. Uh, and then Georgia Tech, as it expanded more towards the north, swallowed up O'Keefe uh, and now uses it for ROTC. There's an ESL, uh, ESL office in there. I think a couple of other language offices uh, in there as well. Uh, and it's also a noted home run target on the other side that's not facing the connector uh, from uh, for uh, home runs from Newborn Field. Yeah, um, I think there's also a facilities office in there, too. They just recently redid uh, the main part of the building in addition to do um, the scoreboard and the paint and the banners in the actual gym part. Uh, interesting note before we move on, not only is O'Keefe one of two former schools that Tech has adaptively reused uh, the couch building in uh, West Campus being the other, uh, which is, again, another example of re uh, adaptive reuse by Tech. That is definitely something that has changed a little bit over the years. There used to be a lot more buildings, uh, even, even the Pickrick, really, uh, when that was the Ajax building, a couple churches uh, as campus moved further west and kind of took over some neighborhoods. But uh, just a, a testament to building that is O'Keefe uh, hanging on as a middle school as long as it did uh, decade plus after the connector was built, uh, after AM's, uh, Alexander Memorial had already been built around it to the north and uh, tech to the south. 
and then really that the neighborhood that it was built to serve being gone as well. So really just a sign, I guess, sign of the times with uh, how uh, Homework School, uh, the Couch Park School and, and O'Keefe uh, hanging on and, and also what they're doing these days as the home of band, uh, random residence, and then obviously a bunch of tech functions and sports. Interesting note, I think the elementary school that served this junior high school is probably Home Park Elementary, which is now apartments in Home Park. So eh, lots of adaptive reuse going on in that in that part of town. Yeah, for sure. Um, we did note Alexander Memorial Coliseum. We've actually talked a lot about uh, that the Heisman Gym of late. Um, uh, again, touching on both of those two. Obviously, AMC is a bigger venue than O'Keefe. That was also uh, where a lot of large games, NCAA tournament games, were played for a time uh, in the 90s, early 2000s. Uh, additionally, uh, this program, as noted by a friend of the program, did get its start in the Heisman Gym, which is also an equally intimate venue before Tech uh, kind of took control of O'Keefe, not just took control of O'Keefe, but also was able to build it out into... Uh, its current form of uh, honestly pretty pretty diverse use of space so uh, definitely an interesting winding route just from the physical plant uh for this team not to mention what they've done on the court well let's talk a little bit about what you know what they do on the court what their schedule on the court will look like this season usually they do start this season with a non-conference tournament with a bunch of low majors. Uh, and we usually rib them a little bit for that because uh, make, that makes the strength of schedule not so great. Um, they usually follow that tournament up with, I think there's one more tournament that they go to uh, and then they'll head right into the ACC slate. Uh, and then right after that, there's no conference tournament to determine the auto bid for the ACC. Uh, the conference coaches voted against that sometime in the early 2000s, which is very strange. Uh, but that's another podcast for another day to argue against the reinstatement of the volleyball conference tournament. But what that means is that the ACC's auto bid is determined, auto bid to the NCAA tournament is determined by, you know, season finish. It goes to the ACC champion uh, of the regular season. Uh, and we talked about the NCAA tournament earlier. It's the standard 64 team bracket that you know and love from other sports. Uh, the usual half conference winners for 32 of those half at largest for the rest of them. Uh, 2021, uh, the past tournament, which was, I guess, 2020's tournament. Anyway, uh, was very strange. It was in a bubble in Omaha. Only 48 teams were let in, which is bad. That should never happen again. If you can host 64 teams or 68 teams, actually, in a bubble in Indianapolis, you can host 64 teams in a bubble in Omaha. But again, another podcast, another time. Um, your usual national powers, uh, Nebraska is universally known for having a really good program. Uh, Stanford as well. Penn State uh, rattled off a couple of national titles recently. So it, it's not it doesn't have a parody problem. Like I, I would say volleyball or not volleyball women's basketball does. Wow. That was a big mess up. It doesn't have a parody problem like women's basketball does, but there's definitely the, the center of power and the center of quality definitely shifts further to the West than a lot of other, uh, a lot of other similar sports. Yeah. Um, there, there's so much to unpack in there too. The, the comment uh, about Omaha, there's, there's the talk about these, these power leagues. And I think you can tell by, by the names that we kind of cited there, 
your your Big 12, your Pac-12, and your Big 10, definitely big powers. And, and where I want to tie that in, if we're talking about the high-level schedule overview and how it looks different than past years, is like, yes, there's, there's obviously still uh, some uh, reality of COVID. But at the same time, Coach Collier and, and her staff went and completely transformed how we uh, will see this team compete before it gets to the ACC slate. Uh, whether whether or not that is a preparatory thing that serves them well um, or a, wow, uh, that was just really, really hard uh, remains to be seen. But I think this kind of gets to the uh, theme across the athletic department. We've we've kind of ribbed uh, the men's basketball program, this program. Especially uh, the men's basketball program. I don't want that to get noticed. They schedule yeah. they, their schedule last year was the only good one in a while. But um, that's you know, we did that episode already. Yeah, um, but but the point is, I think this is honestly a, a pretty good reflection of a somewhat institute athletic department-wide commitment of, hey, football, they're scheduling hard. They always have baseball. They're scheduling hard. They always have uh, under coach Danny Hall. But, um, but yeah, no, if there's going to be teams that are tournament ready, it, it's going to be this one. And just being able to get be an ACC team and, and get some of these hacks at great programs um, that I think we do even get Penn State this year in one of our opening tournaments, uh, an aforementioned uh, appearance. I believe that's down at UCF, but don't quote me on that. Uh, I know Aksha has it up in front of him, so he'll probably butt in. But um, yeah, no, it's it's pretty good top to bottom. And whether or not the, uh, the, the merits of only giving the auto bid to the top seed uh, are probably a, a relic of an ACC that a lot like we've kind of talked about softball is dominated by one power that you want to make sure gets in and and we're living at least somewhat uh somewhat recently in in an ascendant acc with a, a couple more powers again we can dive into that a little bit more when we talk about each team individually but in the past hey the acc has been a one two three bid league uh and even with 48 teams only in the tournament last year we, we showed out pretty well so uh, with tech on the rise and other programs uh, holding their weight, carrying the water, uh, some of the new additions in Pittsburgh, Louisville, Notre Dame. It's it's really a pretty competitive conference, and, and I think that'll reflect better on our ACC slate than, say, a, a past team uh, a la 2016 or, or some of the pre-expansion teams that may have been pretty good, but uh, just not getting the crack because of strength of schedule. Just wait until the next round of realignment. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Ha, 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 ha. So funny. Okay, boo. Uh, I have the schedule in front of me, so we're going to read it off here if I can get my mouse over to the right part of the screen. Uh, next week, they start off with a scrimmage versus South Carolina at home. That is uh, obviously a scrimmage. That's not going to count for strength of schedule. Uh, then it's Penn State in UCF. They'll play UCF at UCF, this is all part of a tournament. They'll play St. John's as part of that UCF tournament. And then they'll head to California to play Long Beach State, UCLA, uh, both in another tournament. Then they play a Georgia Tech tournament where they're hosting Mississippi State, Indiana, and Oklahoma. They have a neutral site versus Arkansas in Raleigh, which is weird, but that doesn't have a tournament attached to it. Uh, And then they'll host Athens uh, in September. So that is... I mean, that's in three weeks they play X number of games against some pretty high-level competition. I mean, you got some Big Ten, Big 12, 
Uh, some of the, I, I, I mean, I don't really know how the SEC shakes out in terms of volleyball this year, but you're hitting some powers, especially in Penn State and, and I think UCLA too. So that RPI, that strength of schedule this year is going to make us look really good. But hopefully, you, you know, you need to pick up a couple wins here early on uh, to make sure you're, you've got your mind right for the back half of the schedule in the ACC slate. Yeah, uh, for sure. And definitely something to note. We, we do really see in a normal year, it seems like we play Arkansas uh, and a lot of times UGA, NC State in, in that weird intro team. So it'll be a great way uh, to judge against the relatively consistent uh, appearance on our slate uh, in, in the form of Arkansas. Hey, maybe the coaches are friends. Maybe they all like just have a a thing that works for them, but uh, not only being able to compare ourselves to ACC teams, but also a couple uh, out-of-conference teams, Arkansas and uh, UGA, that uh, we get to see at least a little bit more often than, you know, your average uh, non-conference slate team. Let's talk a little bit about the roster. Uh, and I think this is another situation like women's basketball where you have a lot of people from last year's team coming back. And I think we talked about this before we started recording the first time um, the entire starting lineup from last year or the final starting lineup is back. So you have Maddie McKissick, Julia Bergman, Maddie Tippett, Kayla Kaiser, Michaela Dowd, uh, Mariana Bambia. Most of those gals are seniors or juniors heading into their one of one of their final years of uh, final years of competition, final years of eligibility it's another team that has adopted that get old and stay old mentality. Uh, and I think that's something that we need to give them credit for because this is a really, really stacked roster when they are firing on all cylinders, they, they are a dominant force in the ACC. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I would ask first a little bit is we don't really know if they can stay old yet. Cause this is really the same core that we've seen, uh, and granted, Dowd, Brambia, and then Bergman a year later came in as freshmen who were extremely competent and, and excellent players, uh, all, all freshman type honors in the region, in the conference. But um, at the same time, you've had, you've had players like Kayla Kaiser, Maddie Tippett, um, who, who have gotten better while they've been on the flats. Uh, again, with COVID and some of the eligibility stuff that's happened there, you don't really know exactly how it, how it shakes out. But um, if any team in recent memory uh, in the tech volleyball program is going to see this, this quite excellent slate that they have and, and be able to do something with it and make a name for themselves, play around in these, uh, in these rankings, you know, it, it's going to be this one. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Let's, I, I think there's a lot of freshmen that they brought in this year too. And it's, and even last year that are still taking that extra COVID year, they're still freshmen by eligibility uh, as well. It, the weird thing about volleyball, I think, is it's hard to evaluate some of those recruits because it's very hard to find information. Uh, it's the same thing with softball, where there's just, I mean, you're probably more plugged in than I am when, when it comes to softball because your sister was a recruit. But at least for me, it's not like I can go online and sort of look up film of volleyball players and do some sort of scouting to give you more information. But I think the good opportunity that we had last year that kind of comes up again this year is that we did get to see a couple of these players rotate in as injury replacements and sort of rotational pieces. 
as the season went on. And, and one of the ones I want to spotlight is Isabella D'Amico, who was the starting setter uh, in place of Maddie McKissick when McKissick had a, I think it was a foot injury to start the year last year. Yeah. Um, and that's really an interesting, interesting thing to jump off of. Obviously, neither of us being professional talent evaluators in really any sport. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the, uh, there's, there's only so much that we can do there with what we're given. You know, there's obviously some form of recruiting sites that are out there, but who's to say uh, what's the, the, the separation there on a lot of levels? It's kind of a we have to kind of accept what we're, what we're given here as we roll in. But if you look at past roster utilization by Coach Collier, especially um, not the year that they went to the NIBC championship and, and brought home that tournament, but um, the year before that, before Bergman got on campus, it was really a six, seven woman rotation. There, there's seven starters in six positions. Um, volleyball, basically, it's, it's your, first, your first sub, um, your defensive specialist type thing is also a uh, a, a, technically a part of the starting lineup, but outside of those six or seven, you didn't really see a lot of games where tech was um, playing a ton of players, uh, at whether or not that's something that we have maybe a little bit of luxury to do say in a game where, you know, you're not playing Penn state, or maybe it's more like a, like Boston college or a wake forest, uh, getting some of those fresh faces in there. So that way you can kind of make that get old, stay old step. Uh, it's, it's the short roster again, or the short utilization. Honestly, we, we tie a lot of, we try and tie a lot of this stuff back together to other programs that perhaps, um, just to draw parallels or, or increase familiarity. We talked a lot about Josh Pastner's program doing a pretty similar thing in the, in the leaner, Hey, we're, we're still getting there building, uh, this experience, this depth. Um, fair he does it he still does it to this day i don't oh, think it's a yeah absolutely he does but um it's something that we can it's really a luxury when you don't have to do that and i i think we're getting to the point with this program where hey there, there's more options and and it's again something we've seen with uh women's and men's basketball being able to diversify some of that talent that rest um and and really i think just getting back into the normalcy of not having uh three, three game weeks, uh, and the, the, the uncertainty of when the next game's going to be played after that initial fall slate, I think given a normal season, uh, it'll be a refreshing return to form perhaps a la 2019 and, and that tremendous run that they finished the year on there, um, in order for this team to, you know, make some magic happen. Yeah. I, I want to touch on those. I, I want to go back to that freshman class one more time, uh, just because I want also want to talk about the recruiting strategy here. Volleyball, I think, is a, is a sport where you see a lot of international talent also come in. Um, I, this ties back to watching the women's volley, indoor volleyball final uh, in the Olympics. Right, You're looking at a lot of those American players were from the U.S. college system. But if you looked at those rosters from a lot of those countries – you're still seeing a lot of college players, right? Um, you're, you're seeing a lot of players that came through the college system. I, I'm bringing this up specifically because the thought I had in my mind uh, when I was watching that Brazil versus the U.S. women's final is that 
it's going to be really weird in a couple of years, maybe 24 or 28, when a, like a chunk of that Brazil roster is made up of Georgia Tech people. And it's possible, right? You saw Bergman playing for Brazil in, uh, during the tail end of her pre-college career. From beyond, I don't really am not an expert on the rankings here that come into play, but I'm sure she's on the she's on the radar of that team. Um, and you have two coaches who pride themselves on their Brazilian heritage and go into Brazil on recruiting trips and make uh, and, and promote the Georgia Tech brand, promote the Georgia Tech volleyball team and have been doing a really good job of grabbing recruits from that area. I think in terms of historic volleyball power, prowess, uh, whatever you have it, um, ha having Coach Claudio on staff, uh, being a gold medal winning coach with Brazil, uh, Coach Collier being one of the one of the best to ever uh, come out of Brazil and play and clearly knows her stuff, has a very successful top to bottom program that attracts these recruits. Uh, Bergman from Germany by way of Brazil, honestly, uh, based on the conversation and the narrative, it, it sounds like Brazil is for all intents and purposes her, her go-to in terms of identifying. Um, but also uh, Brambilla, like you said, there, there's, there's a legitimate connection, right, in the form of these coaches in terms of these players that have had success, uh, the allure of, uh, of the crowd and the, the education that you get. But now there's, there's the thing that's been missing the last four years is they can say, hey, we did the thing. We went to the tournament. We were successful. We won this other tournament in the year, even though we got snubbed in 2019. You really, uh, you really can't script a, a better offering for, say, somebody that's interested in, in coming to play and, and the legitimacy of being able to say, like, hey, like, we've done it. This is our program. You're going to, you, we will help you succeed here. Um, you'll find, uh, what you can offer that same thing to an international or an American player where you can say like, Hey, like this is our Georgia tech experience. This is the staff and the support you're going to get, you know, not to, not to just be like, this is the greatest place in the world for every volleyball recruit ever to wind up. Um, but I, I sure, I sure think they've got at least a compelling argument. And to draw, draw another parallel, this is what the women's basketball program is doing too, right? They, they all also have invested heavily in recruiting international talent. So these kinds of themes actually more than you would think run through the program. And it's really interesting to see how, uh, how these things manifest themselves in different ways across the, across the entire athletic department. I, I know we have to move on. Uh, and I know you have something else to say on this, but I, I just wanted to touch on while we're talking about another theme here, uh, another theme across both volleyball and men's basketball and women's basketball is also transfer talent. Right. Um, Nicole Drunick is coming in this year from uh, from Nebraska. And we, we talked when she was originally announced uh, as an addition to the roster about, well, how how much you trust Nebraska's talent ID uh, on how good she's going to be. And I mean, I, I certainly trust Nebraska's talent ID a whole lot, especially if you look at their their recent track record. Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, it, again, a similar conversation we had with with softball and, and trusting Michigan's talent evaluation and the like of that. It, it's really interesting. I think when you, when you dive down and obviously there are certain uh, Institute wide appeals just through the education, the location, the opportunity, uh, the, the, the standard that Georgia tech at least tries to set. Um, but the parallels you can draw when you, when you dig down, when you look at 
hey, how, how are football, softball, volleyball, basketball, all attacking this portal? How are, you know, we could, we could say, talking internationally, if you look at who's representing Georgia Tech on the Olympic stage this past year, particularly in the swim program, which was, I believe, three or four of our, of our representatives, those are Brazil, Malta, and a couple Turks like that in the past, we've seen uh, Israel in there as well. Like th- this is a, a global appeal and a global recruiting mission to, you know, get, get the talent. And, and I think perhaps the, the, the best, most credible person to sell that vision is coach Collier and, and, and Claudia or Pineda, her assistant coach. Like th- this is, this is the model program to sell that even if, Hey, maybe like, yes, you see Kyle Pumpudis competing at the Olympics in swimming. You may not see the, the Bergman's Brampias doing that yet uh, for volleyball, but at the same time, like th- clearly they're selling something that has some value to it because they're still able to execute going into, and not even just Brazil now going down to Argentina and pulling freshmen out of Argentina and, and talent from really all over, all over the hemisphere. When you think about it, Yes, Nebraska is indeed part of the uh, hemisphere, actually. Uh, the, the big red hemisphere or the little red hemisphere? Let's. I have a lot of jokes about Nebraska as a football program, but not a volleyball program. We'll come back to that later on, maybe off air. Let's move on. Let's, let's talk about some outlook for this program in this year. We, we sort of talked about, or we definitely talked about how they made the tournament last year, but I think one of the important things to note is that with the reduced field, they were one of the last teams in. They, if it was a normal year, they would have been pretty comfortably in. And I think that's an important thing to note. But with the reduced field, they were one of the last four in, if not the very last team in. And that was mainly because they were first in the conference early on uh, in that season. They ended the fall season, I would say, with a share, at least a share of the conference championship. And then during the during the spring slate, they they started off pretty strong, but once they hit a a three game set versus I think it was Pitt versus Cuse and Notre Dame, uh, they they fell off track um, and and sort of fumbled right at the end. If they were to have kept that up, kept that strength up from the beginning of the spring season, I think they they make it a little bit more comfortably. They might have a better uh, better seating than playing Minnesota in the second round, but. Where are we seeing this team this year? I, I think it's important to set our expectations appropriately. Yeah, uh, that's not unfair at all. And when you look at the the rankings, maybe you say, hey, like Tech uh, in the fall, that's a top 15, top 10 team. Well, that's only ranking the, the schools that are playing. So it's, it's a little yeah. bit disingenuous. But at the same time, they, they still legitimately were a top 25 team throughout the year. And if you look at the games that they lost, I'm not saying that they're all excusable, but those are all the games that you expect Georgia Tech to struggle in, except for one, and that is the first game out of the bag uh, in a weird COVID, for, like first sport we saw playing uh, in, in Miami on the road in five sets. Like that is not a that, that's about as excusable as a you should have won that game loss as you could possibly have. And and yes, would it be? Even better than saying walking out of 2020 and going, despite a pandemic, we won what is 
I mean, maybe not monetarily wise, but prestige wise, the most important championship in the form of men's basketball in our conference. But, you know, we, we could have very well added our sixth ACC volleyball title. And that's just something that, you know, that that's a it's a tough draw. You're getting, you know, your, your traditional powers in in Louisville, Notre Dame, Pitt, uh, and particularly Pitt on the road. That that's tough. Not getting them in your own building again when you are in your own building, you're not having the home environment that is fairly unparalleled in in power five sports in its intimacy and volume and heat and sweatiness. Like the uh, O'Keefe is, and and this can very poorly poorly ventilated middle school gym. Well, (laughs) but like, it it sounds like I'm some sort of George. I, I am a Georgia tech homer. I will admit that, but show me another venue that plays and looks like O'Keefe granted. There's other schools that, you know, you, you go to Wisconsin and there's 8,000 people in there and that's plenty intimidating, but it's not the same type of, I guess it, it's a bandbox, right? It, it's, it's playing at your, it, it's a stretch to call it, you know, something that uh, to compare it to a, a stadium that seats 40,000 people in, in football or, or major league baseball or something like that. But it, it plays like a bandbox. It is, is, it is a tiny tiny space and and that's part of part of the environment and going on the road to pit it, it's it's unfortunate to play the the power that has won the acc uh, most of the time that they've been in the conference uh at that same time on the road but um we touched on this a little bit um in, in noting the state of the conference uh the acc traditionally being a one two three four bid league conference which is quite less than you know the 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 baseball and the basketballs of the world um and and at the same time this you can you can really view georgia tech volleyball and georgia tech softball at least historically through a very similar lens that being the when the conference was eight nine teams late 90s or early 2000s it was not necessarily georgia tech runs the league but at, at the very least in the mix every year for a conference championship and you know maybe maybe the transition uh to to a bigger league caught georgia tech basketball uh, men's women's basketball softball volleyball whatever flat-footed the, the competitive dynamics just been different you're also competing against more teams but i think we're finally seeing this point almost seven years later that all of all of those programs uh especially volleyball and and, and men's and women's basketball are kind of finally rising to the top and seeing some consistency, steady hand, good coaching, good development. Like I, I think it's it's fair to say the expectations have to be higher this year than say they were in, in, in 2017 or 2018. Yeah, I agree. I think the bar for me, given that they made the second round of the expand or the reduced tournament last year, I think the bar is making that second round of the normal tournament. And I don't I, I think that's an equivalent achievement to a certain extent, I, obviously they ended up playing Minnesota in that, what is that, a round of 32 game in the 48-team tournament? Yeah. yeah. It, they're not going to get Minnesota in the second round in that in a 64-team tournament. He's knocking on granite over there. Um, they're not going to get Minnesota. Minnesota is never going to be that. Minnesota coached by a former U.S. both men's and women's national team coach is not going to be that low in a ranking to be playing Georgia Tech in the second round in, in 2022. But to get to the actual point, 
And to wrap up what I'm saying, I think that's where the bar is, right? You get to the round of 32, maybe you make it into the sweet 16 and then you sort of ride it and see where it goes from there. But I think you have to make it to the round to the expanded round of 32 by a bare minimum. I have a very simple goal that I want to see happen. Oh God. We play Pittsburgh twice this year at home and on the road. I would like to see one win. I think this is fair. I, I think you get two shots at the best. If you're, if you're winning at least one of those games, you're in the comp, uh, the conversation for a conference title. You quite frankly, the time to act is now for this team, like with, with where their talent is, with the experience they have between a 2018, we're just happy to be here in the NIVC. The 2019, we are women on a mission who got snubbed from the tournament despite finishing second in the conference, yada, 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 bad loss to Kennesaw State, whatever, and taking home that banner, which hopefully there's a banner this year. I'd be sad if there wasn't. Um, and then last year being, hey, this year we, we put our money where our mouth is. We went seven and one in the initial slate in the fall, took care of business in the spring against the teams that we needed to beat. And you know, that consistently earned a bid by being in the top 25 all year. Like it, it is a Georgia tech needs to now come out and surprise a team or, or be competitive in this ridiculous schedule. Obviously the sheer number of wins probably won't be frankly matched. Like if you're not having two tournaments of just, you know, random small market or not, not small market, uh, this isn't pro sports, but you, you know, the, the low majors, the Idaho states, the South Alabama's uh, schools we saw regulars on the schedule aren't there this year. Um, so maybe if the, if the gross win total isn't there, at least something resembling uh, a, a, a decent NCAA run. And I think Georgia Tech being good, especially in a time when, you know, NC State and UNC haven't quite been there, um, bringing depth to the middle of the conference slash uh, raising the ceiling on uh, on terms of the discourse on the conference as a whole it is really what we need to to be a successful program and that that's quite frankly what you see uh, on a more micro scale as the same conversation you're having in football uh the same conversation you're having maybe in softball too is hey like some some of these traditional powers are down or you you need to be stepping up and and the conference needs to have uh i guess a, a lower or a higher floor if not that high ceiling at the same time, but. Okay. So you've teed us up nicely to talk about the rest of the conference. Uh, and I do appreciate that. So let's do our usual run through, through the conference back to front rapid fire this, this time, because we are quickly running out of time here. Are you ready? And this will actually be at rapid fire. So I expect you to keep up. This will be much easier to be rapid fire. <laughs> let's ride. All right. Starting with Duke. Meh. I, I, I don't think they're all, all that great, and uh, I don't see a lot to change that. UNC. UNC, they've been down a little longer than they usually are. This is a team that uh, could be an outside shot of the tournament. Usually they find themselves in the receiving votes area, and I think, uh, yeah, they, they're, it's time for them to start putting it together. Clemson. Clemson's been down a while. Uh, we need to handle our two games against Clemson. Florida State. Florida State is a program that is a traditional tourney team, uh, one of the better teams historically in the ACC. Um, they were a little bit lower than they were last year. I don't think that that is a sustainable expectation for them to stay at as a program. Virginia. 
they're bad. They were bad last year. They're probably going to be bad this year. Woof, that is a scathing indictment. Syracuse. Haven't seen a lot of them. They uh, usually give us some trouble. They knocked off it twice last year. Uh, they are always good for a random run for our money, even in O'Keefe. Noted uh, Grant family team, Louisville. Uh, Louisville, we, we struggle with them, quite honestly. They're, they handled us last year, and I think uh, I see no, no reason for that to change this year. They're, they've always had very talented non-rep teams. Uh, just to jut in here and talk about the schedule and how tough Louisville is. Louisville, uh, we'll see them twice, one home and one away. They made the Sweet 16 in last year's NCAA tournament. Uh, they are they were ranked number 11 in the final poll, final coaches poll last year. Yeah, I think that that's another thing you can apply the Pittsburgh standard to. You got to be a month somewhere. Fair enough. NC State. NC State, uh, <laughs> a team that's given us fits in the past as well. Um, we see them quite a bit. I think that they're probably uh, higher end of the conference this year, but not necessarily that top shelf, Notre Dame, Louisville, Pittsburgh level. Notre Dame. They're a tournament team. Very simple. Uh, I'll add some color here. They made it the second round of the NCAA tournament last year, and their final ranking was was number 24 tech for reference was number 22 in last year's final rankings we match up very well against them usually so it should be good games fair enough virginia tech meh very simply put there uh miami uh i think they're they're a team that uh suffered a little bit due to injuries recently uh they gave us a scare last year uh, again another another team that knows how to go out and recruit so i think them coming up would be good for the conference. Uh, I think they still need to prove it though, in order for, for me to believe in them to be a tournament team again. Pittsburgh, who we've talked about a lot. And just before you say your piece, that is number eight Pittsburgh in their final coaches poll from last year. We'll play them home and away on October 10th and November 19th. Uh, if you're in, if you're in town, that's other than the UGA game, which is sadly in the middle of the Clemson football game, uh, Pitt is is probably the team to circle on the calendar in terms of getting tickets to the game, being there, being loud. Uh, they will probably be good again. It's it's kind of funny. Last year's number eight finish is probably considered a down year for them. Uh, so if, if that's the standard, then <laughs> I don't think they'll be much off of that this year. No, number eight on there also put them in the elite eight. So Maybe those rankings are made up of just the tournament finishes. Anyway, Wake Forest. Uh, Wake Forest is pretty meh. We throttled them twice, both in their gym. Uh, I, again, I, I, Georgia Tech needs to handle certain teams in the conference, and this is one that they need to just take care of business with. Boston College. Uh, the day you can start believing in Boston College non-revenue sports will be a weird day in the ACC. They have to have one, right? Like lacrosse, lacrosse. They got women's lacrosse. They're, they're only, a fun fact, their only ACC championship is a very lonely men's soccer title in, I believe, 2007. Well, Matt Ryan year two, you hate to see it. Yeah, they went to the ACC football title two years in a row, but division championships are not conference championships. So, oops. Yeah, Matt Ryan knows that all too well. Uh, anyway, I think that rounds out all the teams that we have on the slate here. 
anything else before we log off, pack up and head out? Nah, let's do that soccer. Go buy volleyball season tickets. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Submit your questions. I don't think we've ever gotten a single question, but we'd love to talk about what you guys want to hear. So, <laughs> yeah, from the rumble seat at gmail.com uh, via email, uh, FTRS blog on Twitter. Uh, the rumble seat, you know, classic, classic uh, content mill. Absolutely, a content mill. Uh, I will also add one thing that I've just forgotten uh, that is unfortunate. Anyway, uh, I guess we'll see the rest of you later. Yeah.